0: Hey everyone, this is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am super excited you are here, and I just want to give a quick hello to my international listeners. Every now and then, I go into my podcast statistics and look around, and I've got listeners from Saudi Arabia, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, Canada all over the globe. And I'm just so excited that you are here. And sometimes I sit in my office and I feel like I'm just talking into a microphone, but really I am talking to you. So thank you so much for listening. And while we're on the topic, let's do a quick listener shout out before we dive into our topic today, which is a case study, a neurological case study. So let's talk real quickly and see what Jean has to say about the podcast. She says, so amazing. I am a first semester RN student. I barely have any time to sleep with all the schoolwork and working every weekend. My time is very limited, but I live 20 minutes from my school. Every morning and afternoon, I play your podcasts. I have learned so much from you. Any free time that I have, I spend it on Apple Podcasts listening to you. The material you cover follows along with my lectures. Thank you so much for spending your time recording these. My instructor referred me to your podcast, and I'm so glad she did. Jean, thank you so much, and thank your professor for me. I love when nursing instructors suggest my podcast to their students. It just makes me feel like we're all in the together and we all want you to succeed. So thank you so so very much. So in today's episode, again, we're going to be going through a neuro case study. And don't feel like you have to like stop and take notes if you're not in a position to do that. I do have all of this as a blog post and I will link to that so that you can see it all written out for you as well. So what I wanted to accomplish with this case study is I want you to understand the role that you as the nurse play with your stroke patient. So we're going to follow along and go through a scenario with a patient who's basically had a stroke. So we're starting our scenario at 645 on a Saturday and you're working day shift. So you're coming in and receiving report on this patient. And again, as a reminder, all of my patients are completely made Okay, so there's no confidentiality issues here. This guy is a figment of my imagination and his name is Rick. So Rick came in through the emergency room brought in by ambulance at 3.30 in the morning. And here's what we know about Rick. He is 43 years old. He has no known drug allergies and he is a full coat. He has a history of hypertension, type 2 diabetes and hyperlipidemia, as well as alcohol use. So Rick has had a stroke. And again, he was brought in by ambulance at 3.30 in the morning with the last seen normal time of 3.15. So whoever last saw him normal at 3.15, got on the phone, immediately got him to the hospital via ambulance, which is the best possible route that anybody can take. His baseline NIHSS score, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is 16. His CT scan was negative for a bleed, and his blood pressure is 190 over 110. He was then given some labetalol to get his blood pressure down, and then he got started on a nicardipine drip to help keep that blood pressure in a stable zone. TPA was administered at 4 o'clock in the morning. He was then transferred to the ICU at 4.45 in the morning. The last nurse that took care of Rick, who's giving you report, tells you that on their last neuroassessment, they noted a left-sided facial droop, left-sided weakness, but it had improved from their prior assessment, speech was mildly slurred pupils are equal and reactive to light, and that NIH score is now a seven. So the NIH scale is a tool that we use in the clinical setting to basically assign a numeric value to the severity of the stroke symptoms. So it will ask patients to, you know, it starts off with, tell me your name and your date of birth, I believe are the first two questions. And you just want to see that they know who they are, they know their birthday, they can follow commands, you then have them do some simple things like, uh, close your eyes really tight, open your eyes, you want to see that they can do that you want to see that they're following commands. And then it goes through things like assessing the sensation on both sides of the body, movement on both sides of the body, if there's any drift, so holding the arm up at like a 45 degree angle and then watching for drift in that arm. It has them name some commonly known objects like a glove and a key and a cactus and a chair and things like that. And it has them say some phrases or words like 50-50, tip-top, huckleberry, things like that to assess for any slurring of the speech. So that's basically what an NIH score does. It tells us the severity of the stroke symptoms. The higher the score, the worse the stroke symptom. The lower the score, the better the patient is doing. So after we give them TPA, we do these assessments. I want to say in that first hour, we're doing them every 15 minutes, and then we're spacing it out slowly every 30 minutes, every hour, etc. So we're keeping a very close eye on what we hope is resolution or improvement of their stroke symptoms. So the head-to-toe assessment on Rick, getting back to his assessment, is that overall his neurostatus is improving, he has airway patency that has been maintained, and he's able to manage his secretions. We worry about this with stroke patients because if the muscles that are associated with swallowing are affected, then they can't manage their own oral secretions and they tend to aspirate, and that's very dangerous for the patient. He is in a sinus rhythm on that nicardipine infusion at five milligrams and a goal blood pressure. We want to keep it between 120 and 160 systolic. His lungs are nice and clear. He's on room air. Bowel sounds are normal. He's currently NPO pending a swallow evaluation And that will be done by the speech therapist to determine if he's safe to eat, if he can safely swallow. He is using the urinal with a little bit of assistance and has adequate urine output. He's got an abrasion to his left knee because he did fall when he had the onset of his stroke. Physical therapy has been ordered. And we have a peripheral IV in the left AC and another one in the right forearm. We have normal saline also running at 100 mils per hour. We've been checking his blood sugar because he does have a history of diabetes. His last blood sugar was 210 and we need to get some insulin coverage for that. He has no complaints of pain and his labs are pending and his wife Jan is at the bedside. So right after I get report on a patient, I like to jot down a couple things so that I don't forget. I want to think about them when they're top of mind, and that's usually right after I've gotten report. So I'm going to write down all the key information that I get from report, and then I'm going to remind myself that I want to check for his lab results. I'm doing the neuro checks every 30 minutes until 10am. And then after that, I'm going to do them hourly. So I need to work that into my workflow for the day. And I'm also going to check to see that the stroke coordinator has been brought in on his case, and see if there's anything else acutely that I need to take care of like that insulin, he's going to need coverage for his blood sugar. So I go back and I look through the chart and I want to see if any of his labs have come in and they haven't quite come in yet. I also want to see that the MD has ordered a lipid panel and an HbA1c. That lipid panel is going to tell us about his hyperlipidemia. And then that HbA1c is going to tell us about his diabetes and what his blood sugars have been averaging over the last three months. So Rick is a patient who has a lot of risk factors For stroke. He has high blood pressure, he has hyperlipidemia, and he has type 2 diabetes. So all of these things can contribute to that buildup of atherosclerotic plaque. And I can never say that word, atherosclerotic plaque. And when those plaques rupture and build up and rupture, then they can form blood clots. Blood clots can form and then those blood clots become Stroke. So that's what's going on with Rick and the risk factors associated with him for a CVA. So we know it's going to be a really busy morning. We've got Q30 neuro checks followed up by Q hourly neuro checks. So we're going to hustle in there at 7 a.m. With our main goal of assessing Rick's neurological status, and we need to keep a close eye on that blood pressure because he's on that continuous nicardipine infusion. Also, because of Rick's ETOH history, his alcohol use history, we want to be acutely aware that he is at higher risk for bleeding. And that someone who, you know, doesn't drink a case of beer a day or whatever Rick drinks wouldn't be as at high a risk for bleeding. So we're going to keep a close eye on that. And he's also going to be at risk for going into alcohol withdrawal. So we go in, we see Rick, we do our initial head to toe assessment, and it reveals that his NIH is now a six. His NIH score is a six. So it was a seven on the last assessment by the prior nurse. So this tells me that his neurological status is improving, and that is excellent news. His Glasgow coma score is a 15, which is the best that you can get. He's able to hold his left arm up. Remember, we talked about that drift. So he's able to hold his left arm up for 10 seconds with only a slight drift noted. So that's an improvement over what he had been doing when he first came in. He tells you he can now independently use his urinal. So we always want to be encouraging our stroke patients toward independence. So especially with self-care things like this, it helps them maintain their level of dignity, and gives them the feeling that things are improving. So that's a good sign for Rick. That facial droop is only minor. You can hardly see it. And his speech is only mildly slurred. So these are all really good indicators that Rick is having a good recovery. His vital signs are stable on that nicardipine infusion, and his blood pressure from that cuff is 150 over 74. So we're within our parameters. Remember, our systolic blood pressure parameters are 120 to 160. So we're right in line there. He is having occasional PVCs on the monitor, but his blood pressure is okay, so we're not terribly concerned. He's not having any chest pain or feeling any fluttering in his chest. They're just occasional PVCs. We make a mental note to check his potassium and his magnesium levels. His lungs are clear. Bowel sounds are normoactive. That abrasion to his right knee looks nice and clean. We're not really worried about acute infection from that. He does not have any complaints of pain, his head isn't hurting, and that's the one thing that we really want to pay close attention to is if he starts to complain of a headache, a sudden onset or sudden worsening of a headache for a patient who's received TPA, who's had a stroke, is often a poor neurological sign that they're having a bleed, and then that would be a poor outcome for Rick. So we're definitely keeping an eye on complaints of headache. He has no blurred vision and he has no worsening numbness in any extremity. Both of his IVs are working beautifully and he does confirm with you that he does drink a case of beer a day. So this is something that we will want to address with the MD. And then he tells you he's really tired. He was up all night. Uh, well, not all night, but since three thirty in the morning, three fifteen in the morning, he's been up for a long time. He states that he's really tired, and he just wants to try to sleep in between all the neuro checks. So at seven fifteen, we finished our assessment of Rick. We go and sit down and start to chart our initial assessment and look through for our labs and any orders that might have come in. We don't have our AM labs just yet. So we'll make note to come back and check for those later. And I do notice though that the MD had ordered a lipid panel and had ordered an HbA1c. So that's good. We've got those things covered. Now we go back in at 730. Remember, we're doing Every 30 minute neuro checks on Rick. So it's been 30 minutes already. Time goes by super fast when you're doing these really frequent assessments. So at 730, we go back in to wake Rick and do our neuro assessment. And there's no changes. You're very relieved and very happy about that. You help Rick do some of his ADLs, like brush his teeth, being careful that he's not swallowing any of that water or toothpaste solution, because remember, he hasn't had his swallow eval yet. So you would brush his teeth with suction. Okay, so making sure that you're suctioning everything out of his mouth. And then we have to go back and do more charting because of course, we didn't have time to finish all of it before it was time to go back and do another neuro assessment. So our morning routine kind of goes like that until about nine o'clock in the morning, you've been conducting your neuro assessments on Rick every 30 minutes. And now his NIH score is only a three. So that's great, great news. He scores points for having that very slight drift in the left arm and the left leg, and very slightly slurred speech, but that's it. So overall, it's looking like Rick could have a pretty decent recovery. We feel really good about this. During this time, we notice that our labs are in. So we check, you know, our sodium level is fine. It's 140. Remember that a normal sodium level is like 135 to 145. So we're okay there. His potassium, however, is only 3.2 and his magnesium is only 1.6. So we're going to be asking for electrolyte replacements for Rick, because again, remember he had those PVCs on the monitor Very likely that it's because his K and his MAG were a little bit low. All of his other labs look good as far as his electrolytes go, his creatinine, his BUN. White blood cell count is within normal range. Hemoglobin is 9.5, hematocrit 37%. Platelets are good at 130. A little bit on the low end, but nothing to get very, very concerned about. INR is 1.2. Total cholesterol is elevated. Remember, the doctor did order that lipid panel. And his HbA1c, his hemoglobin A1c is 12, which indicates chronically high blood glucose levels. So then around 9 o'clock is when the team typically comes by to do morning rounds Now, Rick is still NPO. Remember, he still needs to get that swallow evaluation done. So we're not going to be giving him a lot of his medications, only the things that are IV. So he gets things like Keppra, which is prophylactic for seizure that pretty much all stroke patients will get. And we give him Protonix IV to prevent gastric ulcer. You know that Rick's going to do just great with his swallow evaluation because his speech is only very slightly slurred. And you just have been watching him have such a good recovery. You have really high hopes for him. So you call speech therapy to see when they can come by to see him. And, you know, you're thinking if you could get Rick off the nicardipine drip and onto his PO antihypertensive medications, that would be a great progress for him. If he can get off the nicardipine drip, we can stop taking his blood pressure every 15 minutes. And he may even be able to downgrade to the neuro observation unit once we're past that Q1 hour, Q2 hour TPA neuro check time frame. We do notice that he is having more frequent ectopy, those PVCs on the monitor. So we do have orders for potassium and magnesium replacement. So we're going to get those things on board. Otherwise, Rick is doing really great. And you are able to get all of your charting done and caught up by 10 o'clock a.m. when you go back into the room to check Rick's blood sugar. And now you've got your insulin coverage orders that you addressed in morning rounds so you're able to correct his blood sugar. And yes, patients will have high blood sugars even when they are NPO, even when they're not eating or drinking anything. When the body is under a lot of stress, then it's going to produce high blood sugar levels. So his blood sugar was 240. We cover him with some insulin. And now we're going to be moving to those hourly neuro checks because the ones we've been doing every 30 minutes have been so stable, following our facility protocol, we can now go to every hour neuro check. So Rick's glad to hear this. He's really tired. He is sleeping in between care, and he's happy to get a little bit extra sleeping time in between all of the awakenings. At 10 after 10, You get a chance to go back and look through the chart and you see that the medical team, you know, you all did rounds together. You see that a lot of the orders have been placed. So Rick has something called a banana bag, which is a bag of vitamins and things like that that helps prevent Patients who are in alcohol withdrawal from having severe symptoms or severe damage. So it's got vitamins, it's got thiamine, I believe it's got folic acid in it. All of those things are going to be really good for Rick. We now have blood pressure meds that we could give PO as soon as he finishes his swallow evaluation. The doc did order a statin for him because of his hyperlipidemia, the diabetic educator was ordered. So that individual will come by and help give a little bit more insight and education into managing the diabetes. Maybe Rick doesn't understand the dietary components that he needs to be checking his blood sugar, taking his insulin at home, all of those things. And then the MD has also ordered ETOH protocol, alcohol withdrawal protocol, which will include things like Adivan librium to help manage those symptoms. And of course, we got our blood sugar coverage, which we've already seen because we did give him his insulin. So then the speech therapist comes in to conduct that evaluation of Rick's swallowing ability. And she lets you know that he passed with flying colors. He does need a chopped diet, but he can handle Thin liquid. So he's cleared to eat, which he is so happy about. And a diet order will be based off texture with stroke patients, just as much as a diet order is based off, say, things like the patient needing a cardiac diet or a diabetic diet. So different textures are like um, pureed foods, thickened liquids, chopped foods, diced foods, things like that. So Rick's going to be having diced foods and thin liquids. When we say thin liquids, what we mean is that we don't have to thicken them. And there's these thickeners that you can add to water, juice, coffee. It's kind of bizarre. So it's patients don't really like the thick liquids. So the fact that Rick can have regular thin liquids is really, really great. You do make a point of asking the speech therapist how Rick will do with his pills and she indicates that he should have no problem swallowing normal sized pills larger pills for example like potassium pills are really really big those would be better cut in half for him so now at 11 o'clock, it is time to go back in and do another neuro examination on Rick. And everything is great. He's doing even parts of the exam without being prompted because he's done them so many times. You get his banana bag hung, you get his potassium replacement going, and give him his pee meds. You anticipate that those PO meds, the antihypertensive ones within about an hour are going to get his blood pressure, hopefully where you want it to be. And you can start pulling off on that nicardipine infusion. At 12 o'clock, it's time to go in and we're going to check Rick's blood sugar because now he's going to have his lunch. So we'll be checking his blood sugar now before his meals and it's still high. It's 232. So we cover him with the insulin and we bring him his lunch tray. And we want to just keep an eye on Rick as he takes his first few bites. We want to make sure that yes, he is swallowing well, even though the speech therapist cleared him for that diced diet and those thin liquids, we still want to observe him initially as well. And we see that he has zero problems with swallowing and we feel comfortable leaving the room while he continues to eat his lunch. Around 1245, you're sitting at the nurse's station, and his wife runs up to you, and she's in a panic. And she says, he told me about three minutes ago that he had the worst headache he's ever had, and now I can't get him to wake up. And this is the thing that you have been dreading and assessing for this whole time, you are now very concerned that Rick has had what we call um, a hemorrhagic conversion or bleed. And the risks for that are high, even with a stroke without any kind of TPA infusion. With TPA infusion, the risks for it are higher. So we are now incredibly, incredibly worried about Rick. So we go into the room, we're asking ourselves questions about Is he able to protect his airway? How severe is his neurological injury, if indeed that's what it is? But we have a very high index of suspicion that that is what it is. So you make sure that someone is calling the MD. You run into the room and you want to make a quick assessment of Rick's ability to protect his airway. Yes, you want to do a neuroassessment, but the very first thing that you need to ascertain is, Is he aspirating his oral secretions or the lunch that he was just eating? So you notice that Rick is out. You can hear a gurgling sound in the back of his throat, and you can see his O2 sats on the monitor dropping down into the 80s. You quickly grab suction, clear his oropharynx, get the BVM, the bag valve mask, crank up the oxygen on that, crank it up all the way, 15 liters, get the BVM in place and begin manually ventilating Rick. As you do that, the respiratory therapist comes into the room, takes over the ventilating, and you see the O2 sats are coming up. The doc then is coming into the room and basically affirms your suspicion that it looks like he's had a neurological worsening, gets set up to intubate the patient, while the doctor is intubating the patient, you're calling down to CT to clear the scanner because as soon as his airway is protected, you're going to head off to CT scan. The CT scan will show that Rick has had a bleed into his brain. Again, it is one of the known risks of TPA infusion, and you are just absolutely devastated that it happened to your patient, especially a patient who's so young and who was doing so well. You make sure that the doc knows about the abnormal CT result, and that doc orders a neurosurgery consult at that time. The neurosurgeon orders an MRI. And one of your next steps is to go down and get your MRI scan of Rick. So when you have an emergency like this, where there's a lot of things happening, typically you have a lot of help in the room. So the moment you guys got back from CT scan, somebody popped in an OG tube, an oral gastric tube so that we could feed Rick, give Rick his medications. Someone else popped in a Foley catheter and we got chest x-ray confirmation of that ET tube and of that OG tube. We also see that the neurosurgeon has ordered tighter control of Rick's blood pressure. Now that he's had a bleed, we want to keep his blood pressure in a more narrow range. So 110, 120, up to 130. 40. Usually like 110 to 140 is where we want to be. So we'll be titrating that nicardipine infusion to keep it right where we want it. So Rick's all settled in. He's had his intubation, he's had an OG2 placed, he's had a Foley catheter placed, he's been to CT, he's been to MRI, we're back in the room and we note that his Glasgow score is only a three, which is the worst score that you can have. He's not opening his eyes, he's not following any commands, he's just doing decorticate posturing because we have such tight blood pressure parameters now, we definitely want to get an arterial line into Rick so that we can see blood pressure in real time, and not just every 15 minutes with that cuff pressure. So the MD orders for an arterial line to be placed in the facility where I work, the respiratory therapist can do that for us. And if they're not able to get it, then the physician can come and place that but it's nice to have an extra resource for something like that. So we get the arterial line placed. By the time that's in, the neurosurgeon has seen the MRI results and called to tell you to get an EVD kit ready, extra ventricular drain. So you've Find it somewhere in the supply room. You find a cranial access kit, which is essentially a fancy drill that the neurosurgeon is going to use at the bedside to place this EVD. So by 1630, you guys, it's only 430 in the afternoon. The EVD is in place. The neurosurgeon orders some prophylactic antibiotics for Rick since she did just drain into his skull and brain, and mannitol every six hours as needed for elevated ICP, as well as orders to keep that EVD open to continuous drainage. Now, you know that mannitol, which is an osmotic diuretic, requires you to monitor your patient's serum sodium and serum osmolality, you're going to check those routinely before you give any of those PRN doses. So you initially send off a stat chemistry panel with those items on it, the serum sodium and serum osmolality, because you can't give the mannitol if those numbers are already too high. And your orders will have specific parameters for that. So you get your serum sodium, your serum osmolality numbers back, and you didn't expect them to be too high, but you still needed to check them. The reason you didn't expect them to be too high was because there was no indication for Rick's serum sodium to be elevated. You hadn't given any mannitol yet, and mannitol will increase your serum sodium. So you're within the safe parameters to give the mannitol, and with his ICP elevated, you know that it is warranted. So you give your mannitol, and it's now 1700 And at 1700 is the time of day when I get my pump total, so I'm going to clear my pumps, get the totals, put those in the flow sheet, empty the foley, get a good accurate foley total, and I'm going to spend that next hour catching up on charting. And you see that that mannitol is going to work pretty quickly to reduce Rick's intracranial pressure. And you make note to keep a close eye on that urine output as an osmotic diuretic mannitol is going to cause a significant amount of diuresis. And with that, we could have electrolyte imbalances as well. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on urine output and our electrolytes. Speaking of those electrolytes, did you get all of his potassium replaced? Did you get his magnesium replaced? Go back, kind of regroup at this point, because if you do need to pass anything off to the night shift, you don't want anything to fall through the cracks. So at 1800, you're doing those hourly neuro exams on Rick, and it shows no changes. And your EVD continues to drain at a pretty steady rate. You do your end of shift charting, including getting the output totals from the EVD. You ensure that your IV bags are not going to run dry during that first hour of your night shift, nurses shift. There's nothing worse than coming on to shift and having your Bags run dry as you're trying to focus on things like your initial assessment, which is the most important thing that you can do. So set your friend on the next shift up for success. If you've got something that's going to be running out soon, have a backup ready to go. Unless of course, it's a controlled substance, you wouldn't want bags of controlled substances just lying around waiting to be used. You also like to do things at that part of the shift to make the start of the next shift nice for that person. So what I like to do is make sure the patient is clean, freshly repositioned. If there's any linens that need, you know, changing, I'll do that. I get a whole fresh suction set up with fresh tubing, fresh yank hour. It's just nice to have fresh equipment when you walk in to take care of a patient. So even though Rick did not fare well, at the end of the day, we can look back at the care that we provided and know that we did all of the things that we needed to do. It was just an unfortunate consequence of the TPA that led to that bleed. We were on top of our neuro checks. We were on top of all of our assessments. And when Rick did have that serious change in condition, we were on top of everything that we needed to do for him to get him the best possible care. So that is, in a nutshell, what a shift might look like for a patient where your day starts out one way, and then because the patient has a serious change in condition, it completely shifts to something So I just want to drive home the importance of doing your assessments and being very thorough with your assessments. The main job of a nurse is to assess and notice. You're assessing your patient's condition and noticing when things go wrong. And then just as a reminder for those of you who are on the fence about joining me in Crucial Concepts. Boot camp, the sale ends January 10th. So, if you're interested in getting in with our sale pricing, it's open all the time. But if you're interested in getting in with sale pricing, that ends January 10th. So, I will link to that in the show notes. And then, if you get in before January 18th, you're in a time to be a part of our live Let's Get Organized workshop, which is super fun and really helps you get your paperwork and your systems and your schedule kind of organized for the semester. It's a, a lot of work, but it's totally worth it. It will pay you back on the back end because you'll be so much more confident in your time management, your schedule, your prioritization, and you'll just feel better heading into those first couple of weeks of school. So join me back here next week where I give you four truth bombs about why mental health nursing is so challenging. A lot of times students go into mental health nursing thinking they can study and prepare and approach it just like they did med-surg and that is so not the case. It is a completely different animal. So I'm going to give you the heads up on that so that you are not surprised, you're not shocked and you can go in to this really interesting, but yes, very challenging class with a plan and ready for anything. So if you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode, then make sure that you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, and it will automatically download for you on Thursday when it's released. So I'll see you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.